Crankbaits can be one of the easiest lures there is to fish. I mean, all you gotta do is throw it out and wind it in, right? Well, maybe, but there's lots of details to it and we're gonna talk about them on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much. And of course, it's brought to you again this week, as always, by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at 136 locations nationwide or at sportsmans.com. Here we are, guys. It's the middle of May. We're headed into what's called the peak summer bite we are getting into that time of season when fish are on the chow and that means that a wide variety of baits are going to be in play a lot of lures are going to be available to you and it really doesn't even matter a whole much about what kind of fish you like to catch we could be catching bass or walleyes or white bass or wipers or trout or any slew of other fish a crankbait right now can be a very good call and it's kind of forefront of my brain because I've been fishing a bunch for the last 10 days and the crankbait has been the number one deal. We've caught a lot of fish on jigs, a ton of fish on jigs. Uh, we've caught a lot of fish on jerkbaits, but when it comes to a lot of my searching right now, it crankbait is the deal. and. I always catch myself oversimplifying crankbaits, and I think it's one of the lure genres that is most oversimplified of all of them out there. Everyone just wants to throw them out and wind them in, and I've been a fishing guide for 20 years almost, or 19 years now, and what I can tell you is that if I hand one to a client, crankbait, without giving them any instruction at all, and it, and it really doesn't matter what crankbait. It could be a, a flicker shad or a square bull or a money badger or whatever crankbait you like. I hand one to a client, and he throws it out there, and they'll point the rod at it and wind it straight back in, uh, and that's about it. And think, okay, well, that's a great way to catch some fish. But what I find when I'm throwing a crankbait, almost subconsciously, there's tons of nuances to it. And the nuances typically make the difference between an average day and a really good day uh, of crankbait fishing. And like any other lure, the more details you pay attention to, the more you set up your tackle for it, the more you really pay attention to how you work it, the more fish you're going to catch. And because a crankbait has its own built-in action, a lot of people think they can just wind it. And again, that will get you some bites, no doubt about it. You take a crankbait, make a long throw, and just wind it in at mid-even mid you know, speed, you're going to catch some fish, no question. You're going to catch a lot of fish. Even going to catch some fish, even if it's just running through the middle of the water column in a dead straight line. But you're not going to catch as many fish as a guy who is con, uh, conscientiously or constantly mixing up nuances of his retrieve. And we're going to go into a bunch of that in details here over the next 20 minutes or so on, on the podcast. But I want to talk... Uh, a little bit first about the tackle because crankbaits are best served with some specialized tackle uh, like most other lures are and if you're taking the time to listen to a whole podcast about crankbaiting you probably care about the tackle too so let's start with that first of all when it comes to crankbaits because they have a dive curve meaning that you throw it out let's say i throw it 25 yards on a cast 
and then I retrieve it. Well, maybe at about the 15 yard mark out from us is when it's gonna reach its bottom of its, of its dive curve. And then it's actually gonna start climbing again as it starts getting to your boat, of course, because of the line pull. The bill on the front of the bait or the diving lip on the front of the bait or that clear, typically Lexan uh, bill on the front of the bait has got certain dive characteristics built into it. Uh, those are dictated by where the line is tied to it, the steepness of the, the diving lip itself, the size of the diving lip itself in relation to the bait, the hydrodynamic resistance of the bait itself. In other words, is this a very fat lure or a skinnier lure? Is it a flat-sided crankbait? Does it have a does it have an angled surface built into the forehead of the bait? All of those things will make it dive a little bit different, but it doesn't matter. They're all going to get to a certain depth, approximately a little over halfway back to the boat, and then they're going to start coming back up again. So it stands to reason that if a guy can get, say, crankbait to go 10 feet deep on a 30-yard cast, he might be able to get it to go, you know, 15 feet deep on a 50-yard cast. And so if nothing else, the bait will stay down at that depth range longer. So all other things being equal, the farther I can throw it, either the deeper it will dive in the first place or the longer it will stay at that depth range on its way back. So it behooves us to be able to make long throws. The easiest way to make longer throws, all other things being equal, is to use a longer fishing rod. And so that's my first hint. My crankbait rods are all seven feet or longer. It doesn't matter if it's a spinning rod or a casting rod. They're all going to be seven feet or longer. It's the longest rod on average of any lure genre that I throw. I don't even own a crankbait rod that's less than seven feet long. And everything else, every other bait type that I throw, I will have some shorter rods that go something in the six, six to seven foot range. That's not the case with crankbaits. I like the long rod because of a couple of reasons. First one I just mentioned, the, the distance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another really key thing about crankbaits is they, they respond exceptionally well to being steered. So in other words, if I have the rod pointing to my left as I'm retrieving the bait and I swing that rod tip all the way to the right mid-retrieve while I'm, while I'm retrieving it and I have a rod that's seven feet long, well, I've made at least a 14-foot change from the tip of my rod on pointing one way to the tip of my rod pointing the other way. And that's going to make a big difference in the line pull and it's going to effectively steer the lure. The lure is going to make a a mid-retrieve change in direction, or DC, as you may hear me refer to it on the way out from here. When you, when you initiate DCs in the middle of your uh, retrieve, you have a very high percentage chance of triggering bites, so a longer rod will help you with that as well. The other thing the long rod will help you with with a crankbait is a little bit depth control because in the same way that the long rod will help you make the long throw and get the bait deep, as the bait gets closer to you, if you happen to be on the bank, by pointing the rod up, I can make that line pull very, very steep and make the bait actually climb, kind of force the, uh, the issue against the front of the bait and make the bait climb faster than it would climb 
uh, on its own if you just had the rod still pointing in the same direction. So the long rod gives, gives me steerability, gives me a little bit of depth control both to increase and decrease the depth, and also gives me the steerability and the ability to initiate a direction change mid-retrieve. Long rods, seven foot to eight foot, all my crankbait rods. The second thing about those crankbait rods is they're all a moderate or medium moderate action rod, meaning that they bend down into the midsection of the rod. They don't just bend at the tip, they bend all the way down into the midsection of the rod for any given power rating that they have. So a crankbait rod that's designed to throw a three quarter ounce lure will bend deeper into its, its length uh, when, I, when I'm retrieving with it, then would say a jig rod that's designed to throw a three-quarter ounce jig where it would only bend at the tip of the rod. The power rating is the same. The speed rating is different. The jig rod will be a fast or extra fast. The crankbait will be a moderate or a moderate fast, but the, the rod will bend deeper. And the reason is this, that gives you some shock absorber because crankbaits are typically retrieved on tight line. That means they're coming to you when they're being when they get bit, and it gives you a big shock absorber. For one, it allows a, a, something like a largemouth bass, who's a suction feeder, to get a very clean bite on that bait as well. That'll help out a whole bunch. And then the other thing is because crankbaits tend to have small little treble hooks, could be you know in the number six, could be as small as even a number eight up to maybe a number four or two, depending on how big your crankbait is, but you're gonna have relatively small hooks on a crankbait as well. And so the big, the big long soft shock absorber will help you with that. So when you're choosing a crankbait rod, it needs to be long, it needs to be moderate speed, and of course for the given power rating for the size of lure you're gonna throw, and that's a key. Now, the last key about that is going to be spinning rod versus casting rod. The overwhelming majority of my crankbaiting is done with a casting rod. Uh, casting rods are quicker, uh, one-handed tool, uh, you can throw them a long ways. There's a lot of reasons why I like it. The reason I will throw a spinning rod for a uh, crankbait is going to be in the event that the crankbait is too small and light to cast. The thing about a crankbait is they can be relatively, um, let's say, not dense. They're, they're lightweight for, their, for a given size, for one, and for two, that diving lip has a tendency to catch air when you throw them. So they tend to be hard to cast or harder to cast. Uh, so something like a flicker shad or the little small money badgers that are the, you know, the, the it's less than six centimeter, uh, any of the real small diminutive little crankbaits, the little tiny square bulls, stuff like that, the small little crankbaits I'll throw on a spinning rod. Those for me are always the Abu Garcia winch spinning rods. Uh, it has the same characteristics of the casting rod, just less power. Now, the casting rods that I throw are also winches, but they, they tend to be the longer version of them, and that's it. They're all winch rods, and, and the, the, the winch series is designed specifically for crankbaiting, and the reason they, they have that, it's the characteristics of the, the length, power, and action that they have out there. So a winch series of rod and a spinning or casting rod is my choice, and only the very small, very lightweight crankbaits get the, uh, get the spinning rod. All the rest of them get the medium or medium-heavy power winch rod. Or, or even the heavy. So 
That's that. As far as line goes, for me, on all the casting rods, it's fluorocarbon. It's 10 or 12 pound. That's an easy one. Every now and then, I'll get a heavier fluorocarbon line. Um, you know, if I'm going to be fishing up real shallow or around heavy cover, I might be up in the 15 to 20 pound fluorocarbon line, but that's because I'm fishing a big crankbait around cover, uh, maybe around wood cover or something like that. Conversely, on the spinning rod, when I'm throwing the little flicker shads and the little baby money badgers and square bulls, that is done on 10 pound X9 braid. It's very smooth, very thin, and very supple. Uh, I can throw those little tiny crankbaits a long ways, and also because that braided line is so thin, it will help them dive. Uh, in that case, I typically put a small uh, fluorocarbon leader on the end of that, something like six, eight, or 10 pound test fluorocarbon about a foot long just to keep the treble hooks off of the line and to keep the, the braided line off of any rocks my crankbait may encountering. And that's my general system for the little tiny crankbaits. There is these days occasionally an argument for throwing braided line on the casting rod and that is when I'm throwing a lipless crankbait, but that's a whole Another deal, I'm not really here to talk about the lipless crankbait a whole bunch today. The lipless crankbait, because it sinks and has no diving lip, is its own, uh, its own beast. It deserves its own equipment and its own podcast, and we will treat it accordingly. But is any dived, or excuse me, any lipped crankbait that dives when retrieved and floats when not retrieved is what we're referencing in this particular podcast. So, that's my line scenario. So again, on the casting rod, it's 10 pound or 12 pound almost all the time. Uh, and then on, this, on the spinning rod and the little baby winch, then we go from there down to the, the thin braided line. When it comes to reels for crankbaiting, uh, again, it's similar to the rod. You want a slow rod and a slow reel. And by slow, I mean a slow gear ratio um, retrieve as far as that goes. And the reason is this, the retrieve ratio is very similar to gearing in your truck in some ways, in that if you have your truck in first gear, you have lots of power, but your truck revs out very fast. In other words, you don't have a lot of speed, but you have a lot of power. If your truck's in fourth gear, you have a lot of speed, but you don't have a lot of power and your motor is lugging. You will lug the engine and transmission. Your truck will work hard. That's exactly why you want a low speed reel for crankbaiting because they have a lot of resistance coming through the water a crankbait does. The reason it dives is because that diving lip is for fighting the resistance as it comes towards you. And you'll notice it will bend the rod tip. The the low power or low gear ratio reels will give you the power you need to wind that and still feel what's going on with it and not fatigue yourself. If you have a high speed reel, you're winding with a lot of power into that handle and it will fatigue you for one or for two, it will rob you of the ability to feel what's going on. And then for three, you have just generally, um, uh, not as good of speed control because for most anglers it's easier to speed their retrieve than it is to get it down to very very low uh, handles. I find on guide trips when I have a guy want to turn the handle as slow as he can he's still turning it much quicker than, than what crank, a lot of crankbaits will benefit at. So I tend to throw them on very, very low speed reels. Here again, the winch models from Abu Garcia are designed specifically for it. It would stand a reason that I would put those two together, and I do. So I will have a winch 
reel on a winch rod, whether it be at my spinning rod or my casting rod, it will be a winch reel and a winch rod. And it's an excellent pairing. They're designed to go together. The whole system works fantastic, and that's how I do it. If you're not going to get a winch reel or a winch rod, that's fine. That's up to you. Just make sure you get a medium-moderate or moderate-powered rod, and then get a gear ratio on your reel somewhere between about 5 and 5 and 3 quarters to 1, somewhere in that range. That'll get you in the ballpark. Winches, I think, these days are 5.4 to 1. On the casting reel, that's a perfect uh, perfect ratio. And so that's what I tend to throw for my stuff. So that's rod, reel, line, and, uh, and that'll get you in the ballpark. Let's talk about specific crankbaits now. The obvious difference between various crankbaits is the shape of the diving lip. The biggest difference is the shape of the diving lip. And they come in a wide variety of shapes from from spoon bills to square bills to coffin bills to you know a whole variety of different shapes and each one has different nuances and that's why they make them and I've had long detailed conversations with Dan Spangler the hard bait development manager for Berkeley he spent the last 12 years designing crankbaits for Berkeley and the rest of his life he was designing them for himself as a hobby so He's got a little bit of experience designing crankbaits, and we've talked at length about them. And the basic nuances are this. The reason that a square-billed crankbait is square, and it's just like it sounds, that the bill itself is square, and it's mounted on the bottom of the bait. The reason that that's there, and the reason that that bait has a benefit, the square bill does not dive as aggressively or as deep as does a rounded bill, a more rounded bill bait. But what it does do is deflect excellently off of any sort of cover. So if you're going to fish around wood cover, rock cover, and it's shallow enough that you can reach it with a crankbait, and I'm going to get back to that statement in a minute. If you can hit that cover with your crankbait, then in a lot of cases, a square-billed crankbait is going to be the best deal for you because it's going to catch that cover with the corner of the diving lip that's going to rotate the bait up on its side, which is going to rotate the treble hooks away from whatever it is you're snagging. So especially if you're going to be around wood cover, laydowns, stumps, stuff like that, a square-billed crankbait is a best choice for that because it will bounce off a lot of stuff. The limitation to a square bill is it won't dive as aggressively, meaning as, as quickly, nor will it dive as overall deep. So that's the limitation to a square bill. So again, if I need snag proof more than anything else, then I'm going to a square bill. If I need pure depth more than anything else, in other words, I want an aggressively diving crankbait, uh, and I, uh, in other words, I want it to reach a, a really deep range uh, as soon as possible. So then I'm going to go to a rounded build crankbait, something like you might see on a dredger crankbait uh, or an old Rapala DT or some of the old, really old, old school deep diving plugs like the old Pose or the old Bagley's back in the day. Uh, those were all rounded build crankbaits and they dive very aggressively and they get down, they hold their depth very well. The flip side of that is they're the least snag resistant because the bill doesn't have corners on it to, to uh, you know, bounce off stuff, to catch and rotate the bait to the side, rotate the trebles to one side or the other, and pop off the bait or pop off the cover. So that's the, the next side of it. 
And then the other crankbait design, the other fundamental one, most fundamental one, is what I call spoonbill. And it's classic on something like the Money Badger, uh, which is becoming one of my favorites. In the last 18 months since I started fishing that thing, it has proven to be a fantastic crankbait. And the, the beauty of it is this. It dives very similarly to a rounded bill crankbait, but because it's a spoon bill and it's shaped like a spoon, in other words, the bill is narrower where it leaves the front of the crankbait and wider out close to the end of it, but not so wide as a square bill crankbait, because it has that spoon shape to it, it will still deflect better than a round bill crankbait, but not quite as good as a square bill. So it dives better than a square bill, but it deflects better than a round bill. And therefore, it wakes for an excellent uh, all-around crankbait. And I've been using it accordingly, especially last fall and this spring, and it has really been paying the bills. I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that there's also coffin bills. Um, those are what you would see on something like a Berkeley Wild thing uh, or some others that have kind of a hybrid angle corner to them. In other words, it's it's kind of like a square bill with just the tips of the corners of each corner of the, of the blade cut or the, the uh, diving lip cut off. Kind of a hybrid, they tend to hunt. They're the least stable of a crankbait. So instead of vibrating consistently one side or the other, they roll, bounce, ricochet, do kind of weird hunt all over through the water column because they don't, they don't uh, hold water pressure on the bill as evenly. So that's what the coffin bill is all about, and, uh, and it works very good uh, for, uh, for me, a cold water bait. To me, the hybrid ones uh, basically are made to mimic an old-school 50-year-old wiggle wart, which hasn't been in production for a long time because they were inconsistent. In other words, the manufacturer couldn't make them run in a straight line consistently and figured out that that works really good for catching fish, and therefore they designed hybrid uh, or coffin bills crankbaits, and they do a fine job with that. So those are your basic bill designs, and that's going to dictate... Uh, a little bit of the characteristics when you're standing in a sportsman's warehouse looking at a wall of crankbaits. Also, crankbaits are sold by their diving range and understand that that's on the end of a very, very long cast. So you need to make very long casts and you need to work them with the rod tip down to obtain anywhere near. If your rod tip is level or up, they're not going to hit those those diving ranges and those diving depths that they're rated for are typically rated to 10 pound test monofilament. So if your line is thinner than that, diameter wise, your bait will dive a little bit deeper. If your line is thicker than that, your bait will not dive as deep and that's because of the diameter of the line in the water creates resistance and will lift the bait. That's the difference there. So keep that one in mind as well. So. The other thing that you need to keep in mind when designing or looking at crankbaits, I should say, is the shape of the body itself. Um, some of them are very, very round and will have a very wide wobble to them. It's a combination of the blade and the body, but the, the big fat body and the big and the rounded bill will create a very wide wobbling crankbait. Conversely, a flat-sided one like the, the Berkeley Fritz side, uh, fantastic bait, very tight wobbling uh, action to it because the bait itself is flat-sided. So it doesn't wallow around so much, let's just say, uh, at, when you retrieve it. So it's got a much tighter wiggle to it. 
Uh, and so that's something else to keep in mind when you're looking at crankbaits. If you feel like the environment is fast, I want a bait that, that vibrates quickly. If I feel like the environment is cold, I want the vibrate the bait that vibrates slower. And what I mean by that is reference to the species I'm catching, cold water, warm water, uh, in relation to the species I'm targeting. Keeping in mind that water that's cold for a walleye is not too cold for a trout and is way too cold for a bass, whereas too warm, warm enough to kill a bass is perfectly comfortable, or excuse me, warm enough to kill a trout, I should say, is perfectly comfortable for a bass. So the temperature range is relevant to the species of the fish when I'm picking my, when I'm picking my crankbaits. So let's talk a little bit about the retrieve of the crankbait itself. And I, I joked about this in the beginning, but you don't just throw it out and wind it in. Sure, you can do that. Uh, in the same way that you control right down the middle of the lake in a straight line, you'll catch a few fish every now and then. For me, I tend to move the crankbait with the rod and use the reel to control more of the slack to some degree. So I kind of pull the bait with the rod and wind back to it with the reel while still keeping tension on the line. Uh, so it's kind of a hybrid. I don't tend to just straight wind the bait. If I am going to straight wind the bait, that's only when I can't contact the bottom with the bait or I'm not, but just rarely contacting the bottom of, uh, with the bait. So if I'm really deep cranking, then I tend to go ahead and wind the bait. If I'm throwing a square bill up shallow or I'm throwing the, the money badger around rocks that I'm distinctly hitting, or, which is almost always my goal is to make contact with my cover with the crankbait, then I will use the rod for sure because the rod is more sensitive. I can feel what the crankbait's doing better with the rod and then I'll use the reel to control the slack. And so I pull the bait along with the rod and just about the time I get to the end of my sweep where I'm getting too far behind, I'll wind back as fast as I can and keep pulling all at the same time so that I can keep the bait moving. And there's videos of this on our YouTube channel. It's kind of hard to describe it, but if you go on our YouTube channel and you look at some of the crankbait stuff on there, you'll see what I'm talking about. But I'll use the rod and reel in conjunction to move the bait, not just the reel. If I'm deep cranking, like really deep cranking, 12, 15 foot type deep cranking, then I'll point the rod with just a little bit of angle to the crankbait, keep the rod tip as close as possible to the surface of the water, and I will just use the power of the winch reel to wind it in. But again, if I could contact cover, which is always my goal, whether it be wood cover, stumps, rocks, whatever it is, then I will definitely use the rod more to manipulate the bait and use the reel to control slack. So it's more of a combination of the rod and reel together that will do all the work when it comes to retrieving the bait. And then last thing I'll throw out there, uh, when it comes to setting the hook with a crankbait, I find guys on guide trips want to wind into fish. And that, what I mean by that is they feel the fish, fish starts to pull tight, and they just start whining, I got him, I got him. And that's because the big soft rod will start to load up. Uh, it'll take a little bit of the stretch out of the fluorocarbon and you feel like you've got the fish. But generally speaking, you're gonna end up jumping a bunch of fish off doing that because the rod is, is soft enough that it won't necessarily set the hook. So I still wanna see a distinct pull into the fish. 
Um, I don't ever want to see slack thrown at the fish like I might do with a Texas rig, but I definitely want to see some pull, an extra pull put into the fish with my guide clients. For me, there would be all, and just to double up on the hard sweep, and then I'll just hold it very tight right there as soon as I do that to make sure that I've actually pinned a fish and not sunk my crankbait into a stump or something like that. So pull it, sweep into it hard and tight. Okay, it's tight, hold it, feel for intense or intelligent pressure. Is the fish throbbing on there or did I hang it? And so if you hung it on something before you do anything else, just completely slack it out and try to get it to float up. Most crankbaits or a lot of crankbaits will float given the chance. They just need a bunch of slack thrown back at them to get that to happen. So when the bait starts to hang, slack it out with a whole bunch of slack line and give it like 10 seconds. It's also going to take longer than you think to float up and away from the cover because it has to pull the fluorocarbon up with it. And so keep that in mind. When the bait starts, when you hang it, when you you feel like, oh, it started to come tight, you pulled into it. Okay, now I'm hung in a, in a crevice in the rock. Slack it out and let it sit there for 10 seconds. See if it'll float up on its own. Most of the time it will. If it doesn't, then it's probably wedged in something or you hung the hooks. Last thing I'll throw out there uh, as far as retrieving that bait from there, getting it back, because crankbaits are not cheap and we don't want to lose them. So there's two possibilities. If you're in a boat, get on the other side of it with your boat if possible. In other words, if you can get the boat on the opposite side in a, to where you cast to as opposed to from, a lot of times you can back the bait out that way. And then the, the other way, and this one's the most consistent, is a playbill, fraybill plug retriever. It extends to 18 feet long. It's got basically a corkscrew on the end of it. You screw it onto your line. You reach down to your crankbait. You hook the hooks with the other end of it, and then uh, you pull it up, and you can get your crankbait back that way. I use my plug retriever about three times a day on average, maybe more than that. It works basically every time, and it saves me a crankbait every time, which means it's saving me bare minimum of seven or eight or nine bucks, and maybe as much as 15 bucks every time I use it. That makes a $50 plug retriever a definite value. Get one, keep it in your boat, and also allow you to throw the bait with the reckless abandon. The other thing I'll throw out about that plug retriever is should you throw one up on the bank, you can reach out and get it instead of risking your trolling motor prop trying to get close or your even worse, your tippy or fancy rod. Uh, and should you ever throw one in a tree, you can reach up and get it from there as well. So crankbaiting, it's not just to throw it out and wind it in. It's an extremely effective technique, but there's nuances to it. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm trout fishing or walleye fishing or bass fishing, all those nuances come into play at the same time. Uh, when it comes to trout, I tend to fish them faster. When it comes to walleyes, I tend to fish them slower. When it comes to bass, it could be anywhere in between. So that's crankbaiting, guys. If you want to join the conversation at Fishful Thinker, I would appreciate you do that very much on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, for sure, please check out our YouTube channel. That's at Fishful Thinker. There's more than 600 videos on there now, guys. We're well over a million views. Would love to have you subscribe to that. Very important to us. It's a labor of love. And obviously, we would like to have you check out what we're up to on World Fishing Network or Altitude Sports. So thanks for tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>